I'm a disciple of Jesus, and my full-time occupation is making disciples. That's what he's called me to do. We call it the Great Commission, and God has sent us out to do it. He didn't just send out some elite group. How many even know the verse? I know you're good charismatics in here, so you know the verse. Okay? He called apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. No more. Fivefold. Anybody? Did I leave anybody out? Nobody? Okay. And it says that he called them to do what? Huh? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. To be disciples, she said. Anybody else say? Anybody else? For the, for the work of the ministry. Now, I love the wording on that. You see, he gave it for the saints to prepare them for what? So what we're going to do here is we're just going to take a look here at, uh, uh, at our verse in Ephesians about apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. Where am I at here? I'm trying to look and talk at the same. 411. Thank you. I'm looking. I have nothing marked in this Bible. I literally got this out of the box before I came up here. So, you know, I'm at a severe disadvantage today. And he himself gave some to be apostles. I'm reading, uh, I believe this is the Holgram version. I have no idea what version that is. Um, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of the faith. That's a, that's, I read it's a little different than my ESV, and it's a little different than what I'm used to. But basically, he gave all these, these apostolic ministries and the teaching. Anyway, he gave the fivefold ministry for the equipping of who? Wait a minute. And then what are the saints going to do? Wait a minute. I thought the apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers were the ministers. But in this verse, it says he gave us those guys to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, that's not what I was told. I thought, you know, the apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, well, they're the big guys, you know. Supposed to be going around doing the ministry, and the rest of us are supposed to sit back in our pew, and we put a little money in the offering plate, and we sing and come to Bible study. Trust me, in Africa, that's the model. We got the superstar at the front, and everybody else needs to sit back and keep their mouth shut. In fact, in Africa, the superstar at the front, if you start going out and telling people about Jesus, you just identified yourself as a competitor. That's the way we look at things in Africa. But here what we have Paul saying here is, is God gave us these offices. He gave us these men of God. It came straight from the Father so they would equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You weren't supposed to sit here and just listen to sermons on Sunday morning, Wednesday night. We as leaders are not coming here and, of course, we all know this. We don't come to entertain people on Saturday morning. How many of you have been to some of these modern Western churches? I literally was invited one three years ago. A friend of mine says, you've got to go. This place is amazing, Glenn. You've got to go. And I'm like, why do I need to go? He said, this guy's a great preacher, and he's really preaching discipleship. And I said, okay, well, I'll go. And so I went, and it's one of these mega church deals. I hadn't really been in a real mega church. This is my first time. They were literally blowing smoke on the stage as the band was playing. I am not making this up. And they had a girl dancing over in the corner with a flag in her hand. 
I told you she was interpreting the worship songs, and then another lady was painting as the pastor was preaching, and I'm told it was some kind of interpretive painting thing. And this guy got up, and he preached about discipleship, man, and he was telling about giving Jesus everything and surrendering Jesus for everything. And, and, uh, and when he got through, you know, and uh, by the way, he looked really cool. He had on skinny jeans, you know, like young kids wear. You know, the young hip passes, but he didn't need to be wearing no skinny jeans, you know. He had the whole spiked hair thing. I would, I can't have that because I don't have any hair. But he had the whole spiked hair thing and the really cool shirt. And, you know, he was a very hip guy and everything. And I thought, so this is, this is what I see people talking about all the time. You know, this is the, the, the modern megachurch here. I'm actually seeing one of these things for real. And he was preaching fire and brimstone about being a disciple. And then when he got through... He kind of raced it all. He said, well, but, you know, it's not a salvation issue or nothing. He says, of course, we're saved by grace, and God hates our works. And I'm going, so you want me to take up my cross and give up everything, but you're telling me it doesn't matter. Okay. Message received. And uh, anyway, I, I didn't make it all the way to the end. I, I, I eased on out the door on that one and everything. But it was a great sermon until he told us that his sermon didn't mean anything and it didn't matter and God really was going to hate it if you were going to think that sermon was going to make you a better Christian somehow, you know, being a disciple. So I was a little disappointed, but also went away very enlightened. I thought it was a pretty exciting thing to do. But as I, uh, 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 it was just one of those things that I found there. But, as, but the whole idea for leadership and what our responsibility are as leaders, we were talking about being good leaders on the way over here, being good leaders and, and feeling inadequate sometimes too. But our job as leaders is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. A lot of times a pastor or a leader, they think they got to do all the ministry. And actually what their real core job is, is to teach their disciples to do ministry. Did you ever notice what Jesus did? You know, Jesus went out and what did he do first? Well, he would go around and he got his, got his 12 disciples and he goes out and he heals the sick. And he casts out demons, and he tells everybody the kingdom's coming, and he tells them to repent, and he has these guys baptize them. And then he goes along, and he's preaching his sermon, and, of course, the Pharisees come up and mess with him. He deals with those bad guys. And so Jesus goes around, and he does this thing over and over in all these villages. You know, in fact, in Luke 4, they told him, they said, don't go anywhere, Jesus. You know, he was healing everybody and casting out demons. Don't go anywhere, Jesus. Stay here. And he says, I got to go because... I got to go preach the kingdom of God in other places because this is what I sent for. And so he went and went. You know, at that point, the apostles are just kind of walking along behind him going, man, this guy's great. It's unbelievable. Can you believe it? And then all of a sudden, we get to Matthew 10, and he turns around the 12, and he goes, all right, boys, here's what we're going to do. So we turn over to Matthew 10 real quick. You don't have to turn with me. I think everybody here probably knows the verse, but you're welcome to if you want to. And this is where it said, he tells his disciples, I want to tell a story here and I'm not going to let myself do it. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus does this. It's, this, is, this is a trick. I've had pastors trick me this way. Y'all watch your pastor in case he does this. He told me to start praying 
for the nations. And the next thing I know, I get sent to the nations. He starts telling me to pray for the harvest. And like Jesus, next thing you know, he sends me in the harvest. It's like whatever I start interceding for, I get sent out to go do the very thing I'm praying for. Have you ever noticed that? You notice it in the Bible. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, boy. Now you start praying because we need some workers out there. Did you pray? Good. I'm sending you. (laughs) I'm answering your prayer. I'm going to send you. You're going to be the one. He does it in Matthew and he does it in Luke. Same thing. So he says here that, uh, that the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Now go. I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. And then he gives them instructions. I'm going to go into the instructions at another time. And he goes all the way down and he tells them, heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God is near. And when you enter any town... and Anyway, I'll go on about that a little bit later. And, uh, and he gives them explicit instructions on what to do to go out and share the gospel. Uh, and so Jesus has shown them and modeled for them what to do. And then the next thing he does is he turns around and he anoints them to do the very same thing. Now, I don't know if it says it in, in Matthew 10, but if you'll turn with me to Luke 10... I love Luke 10. In fact, I teach a form of evangelism that many people call Luke 10 evangelism. And the reason I use Luke 10 is say, well, Glenn, why didn't you, did you not like that verse in Matthew 10? It, it says almost the same thing. And I said, well, I, I love the, I actually like Matthew 10 better, but I never used Matthew 10. And the reason is, is Matthew 10 is about the 12 apostles. What's Luke 10 about? Huh? Ah, the other guys. I told somebody, if I ever write a book, I'm going to call it the other guy. Because, you know, I'm not one of the 12 apostles. You're not one of the, the 12 apostles. We're the other guys. But what did he do with the other guys? Same thing. Same thing. What did he say to them? Now, let's go take a look here. I was on the wrong page. Y'all can tell I'm not familiar with this Bible. That's just the way it is. Look at what he says. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few, therefore pray. See, I told you it was a trick. He does it over and over again. He tells you to pray for something, and then he sends you. You thought you was praying for the other guy to go, and you're praying for yourself to be sent. That's okay. God does that all the time. He's done it to me a bunch of times. So uh, same thing. He sends him his lambs among wolves. He gives them almost exactly the same instructions. And it says when they come back in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus said, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and, and all the power of the enemy and nothing shall harm you. So what I'm just showing you here is how did Jesus make disciples? Because this is where we want to get to with our discipleship. So many times with us, we think making a disciple is and is basically doing Bible studies and giving lectures maybe on Bible truths. I know a lot of guys that think the most important thing in making disciples, we got to get the fundamental doctrines down. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, you know, lecturing in classroom situations and studies and, and all these things, they're a fantastic way to transfer information. That's why universities and colleges and all that, all that sort of thing do those things. Why didn't Jesus? I mean, that's a great way to get facts and information 
and instructions across, why didn't Jesus use it? Are we smarter than Jesus? I don't think we are. I think what it is is Jesus it wasn't as interested in the facts. Jesus was going to show them how to expand the kingdom of God. And the way he showed them was it was like this. First, you watch me. Now, I'm going to send you out. And in the Bible, and, I, and I'm sorry I don't have my underlying Bible here. I'll, 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 I'll spend too much time looking at this verse if I tell you everything that's in this verse right now at this second. It's what happens when you get a new Bible. Is that it also says in the text there that he was going to send them out to the villages where he himself was fixing to go. That's an important thing. Now, you don't realize that's an important thing till you've actually sent out new Christians to go. Because, man, let me tell you something. They can mess up. I have sent out a whole bunch of new Christians. I send a, yeah, I'm going to show you all pictures tomorrow. Do you know what I do when it comes to Luke 10 evangelism? Exactly what it says. I send two guys over here, and I send two guys over there, and I send two guys over here, and I send two guys over there. And we, I'm going I'm to show you a little bit about how we do this. But when we go, we're not trying to do friendship evangelism. We're not trying to sneak up on somebody and start sharing with them. We don't have any tricks of the trade or anything. We walk up and I go, oh, my name's Glenn. This is Moody. We're on telling people about the kingdom of God and Jesus. I wondered if you had time. I'd love to sit down and talk to you about it. If they say no, I'm out of there. You know, one of the problems we have in, in our, the way most of us were taught was, we're supposed to get everybody saved so they'll go to heaven. And Jesus said that when you go to a place and you find a person of peace, then you stay with that person and teach them. And see, that's a whole different approach. So when I come up to you and I start telling you and ask you if you want to hear about the kingdom of God and Jesus, you say, no, I go, that ain't my person of peace. And I'm going to come over here to this guy. And I'm going to start to ask him if he wants to hear it. He's not my person of peace. And then all of a sudden I come over here and he goes, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. And then what did Jesus say? Tell him and teach him about Jesus and run to the next house and see as many people as you can. Instead, Jesus says, stay there. And then what's a person of peace? Well, the Bible says, eat what he sets before you. Wait a minute, this guy's going to feed me. He says, stay in his house. Wait a minute, he's going to invite me to stay now, in our modern culture in this society, nobody's going to, they might feed you. That would be pretty rare. They're sure not going to invite you to spend the night the first time you come over and see them. And if they do, we'd be a little on the wary side. Let's all be honest. But the whole point is, this guy is open and interested. I don't waste my time with people that aren't interested. Just because he told me no today doesn't mean he's not going to be in a different place tomorrow. I'm going to tell you something about evangelism, and I believe this is what God knew that was going on. Remember, the harvest is plentiful. The problem is the workers are few. I want to tell you something. It's still true right now. God is at work in everyone's life, I believe, around you right now. Some of them are already ready to be your person of peace. Some of them may be fighting you right now because they know you're a Christian, but what's really going on is God's doing something in them, and they're not your person of peace yet. So as we go out, we want to spend our time with those that are receptive. When you run into the guy that wants to argue, wants to debate, and wants to fight, he's going to steal your time, he's going to steal your energy, and he's going to stop you from going to the person of peace. 
You don't let him do it. How many of you got a relative that when you go to uh, church on, uh, when you go home for Christmas or you go to Thanksgiving, there's a guy there and he's the, the, the family atheist or the, or the family agnostic and he loves to get you and argue with you and just suck the life out of you like a vampire. I had a buddy of mine said, Glenn, please tell me what to say to my uncle. Every Christmas, our family gets together, and we wind up yelling and fighting, and, you know, he hates God, and all Christians are uh, hypocrites, and we have this big argument and everything, and I says, bro, he is not your person of peace. Just, you know, just stop it. You know, when he starts telling you, well, what's going on with this Jesus thing? You know, I don't believe any of that stuff. I said, I know. We talk about that every year, don't we? I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go over here and I'm going to find me a person of peace. And you don't let them suck your energy and drain you like that because that guy will keep you from finding that person that went to bed last night saying, God, if you're real, would you just show yourself to me? Do you know the number one way that I have led Muslims to the Lord myself personally is I go up to somebody and I say, you know, I want to talk to you about Jesus and the kingdom of God, and I said, would you be interested? I do the same thing with Muslims. I don't have any special stick. I don't do apologetics. I want to know if you want to hear about the kingdom of God and Jesus. And they'll say, yeah. And I go inside. They'll shut the door. And I've had them get between me and the door like they're afraid I'm going to leave. And they said, I've been praying for eight years that somebody would tell me how to meet Jesus. I had two people back-to-back, first a young teenage boy, he's 18 years old. uh, I've since baptized him, married him, paid his bride price for him, and uh, 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 dedicated his baby. Yeah, we have to buy our brides over there. I'll tell you about that tomorrow. Yeah, it's usually a cow and a goat, a little sugar. It's it's pretty interesting. And and so anyway, uh, I've done all these things with him, but the first time we met him, I walked up to him in the middle of a field while he was hoeing, asked him if we could talk to him about the kingdom of God and Jesus, and he stopped me, looked up, and he said, you know, I'm a Muslim. And I said, okay. I said, would you like to talk about the kingdom of God and Jesus? And he says, you know, I went to a Christian school one time. I said, really? And he said, yeah. And he says, you know, I hated Islam. And he said, you know, when we'd go to the Islamic school, when you walk through the door, you had to line up and they would beat you before class started. So, you know, you knew kind of the lay of the land. So every day you got smacked when you started and then you sat down. And he said, uh, my father abandoned us and he beat my mother and he wouldn't have anything to do with us. And he was a very devout Muslim guy. And he said, I just... I never saw any fruit in Islam. And he said, and I went to a Christian school and they would sing praises to Jesus. He says, you know, we never sang in Islam. I'd never heard any music sang to God. And he said, in the end, he said, I began going to bed every night saying, Jesus, if you're real, would you send somebody to tell me about Jesus? He said, I even asked the other Christian kids if they would tell me how to become a Christian. And all they ever told me to do was come to church. And he said, so, yeah, I'd like to hear about the kingdom of God and Jesus. Right after that, his aunt, her name is Miriam, who's now on my board uh, for our NGO. Miriam told me that uh, when I went to her house, she lived in a mud house, a true traditional mud house and sticks with a thatched roof. 
and I went inside her house and sat down to talk to her, is that she said that God sent somebody to me that'll tell me how to become a Christian. And she said, let me know if they're, uh, that you sent them, and I'll know because they'll give me a Bible. Man, if you think I didn't give her my Bible, I didn't know nothing about it. I was supposed to bring a Bible, but she's getting mine. <laughs> she, you know, I decided I'm there. I'm going to be the answer to that prayer. If I got to give my best Bible away, I'll never let that moment go by. So I gave her my Bible, and then a little bit later, you know, I missed my Bible. You know, it was a good one. had all my notes in it and everything. So I said, hey, babe, how about if I got you your own Bible? You didn't have all that right in the mind inside. And she said, that'd be even better. Score one for Glenn. Got my Bible back. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is the way we go out and make disciples, using Luke 10 evangelism. And the great thing, too, about Luke 10 evangelism, it doesn't cost anything. You know, Jesus said, don't take no gold, don't take no silver, don't take any extra clothes, don't take anything. In other words, don't take any accoutrements, don't get distracted. He even went so far as to say, don't greet anybody on the way. Now, that's about the weirdest thing you could say to somebody, isn't it? In most cultures, especially in Africa, to not greet someone is it's a pretty serious thing. To not greet someone, it's bad. But the great thing about it is, and what you realize in Africa, is when we stop and greet someone, my sister over here may be able to share this, uh, if you remember that much for back in the day, is that, man, you didn't just walk up and say, hey, how are you, and keep going. Especially if you're a Messiah. You know, you got to ask them, how about Iaco? How about Zasabuhi? How about Nubane? How about Familia? How's your family? How's your wife? How's your kids? How's, your, how's the weather? How's the, and, you, and you have this great big conversation. Well, you can't greet five people. The day's half gone. That's the way it is. And so basically, I, so I come to understand in that culture that the reason we don't greet anybody is we've been given an assignment. We were given a mission. We were sent out two by two. We we're sent out to go find the person of peace. Don't take a bunch of junk. You don't need a lot of tools. Take your Bible, take a track if you have to, and you go out and you do the thing that God called you to do. The great thing about Luke 10 evangelism is somebody's already modeled it for you. Then they, and what we do is, is let's say, say I led my brother and sister to the Lord here, then they watch me do it. And when they get through watching me do it, then we go together. And, and, and this time when you watch me do it, you're watching me do it, and you're the guy sitting right there, you're number two. And then the next time we go and do it, then all of a sudden you're talking and I'm sitting there with you and I got your back. And then the next time you go out, I send them out and, and they're both going out and they do it all by themselves. But I'm in the background because I've sent them to where I'm about to go myself because disciples can really mess things up. I send out young men. We live in a very gender separate society. And so we don't mix. I mean, you mix when you get married. That's the way it's supposed to work in our culture. We don't date. You mix when you get married, okay? And so if parents arrange that kind of thing. And so, you know, I'll send these young men out, and, I'll, and I'm going along behind them just seeing how things are going. And then I'm like, I walk up, and I'm like, Moody, can I talk to you a minute? I said, yeah. And I said, why are you talking to these girls here? He said, oh, I said, we, we think they're persons of peace. And I said, there are no persons of peace for you that are girls. They're all boys. I want you to go find you some young men and go share with. If you find some sisters or some young ladies that are per, do you think a person's peace, we'll send the sisters down here. And he says, oh, but you know, I really feel like they're person peace. I said, Moody, you think all the pretty girls are persons of peace. I get it. 
I get it. You know, I was 18 once too, Moody. Down the road with you, sir. And uh, so you have to follow these guys along behind us just a little bit to watch out after them. And I know I've gone on a little long today, tonight, and we started late, and I apologize for that. But let me just wrap this up, this loose part on discipleship that I'm talking about. But um, the next thing is, is that once we've done this is, and, and they go out and do it themselves. We come along behind them and help them and assist them. But what our goal is, and you guys have to decide this for yourself, one of the biggest problems we have is that we tend to be church-centric. And that is, is that we quickly, when we go out there and we would lead somebody to the Lord, when you bring them back in and you might immediately plug them into the fellowship, um, all kinds of cultural things happen there. Let me just share with you a little bit of my thinking on that. So I would go to your house and I would share with you and I'm calling you to repentance. First thing is, after I give my little gospel presentation, which you're going to hear more about tomorrow and the next day, is that I'm going to ask you to give up everything and come and follow Jesus. And let's say this guy says, I want to do it. Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to leave the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of God. And in Africa, everybody wants to get out of the kingdom of darkness because, man, it is dark over there. We got witches, we got demons, we got it all, okay? We got witchcraft and the whole thing going on. Whether you believe in that or not, let me tell you, it's real. And so, uh, I mean, hardly a week goes by, we don't cast out demons in our ministry. And some of them are very severe situations. And so anyway, so uh, uh, we, we would go and he says he wants to come and follow Jesus. The problem, we, the, the opportunity's wonderful, but now what does that mean to a guy that just heard the good news for the first time? And so the next thing we do is we're going to tell him he's got to count the cost before he can come and follow Jesus. So then I teach him. So I teach him to, he's going to, have to repent of his sins, give up everything and come and follow Jesus. The next thing I'm going to teach him is I'm going to teach him the commands and teachings of Jesus. We're going to teach him the Sermon on the Mount. My gospel presentation tells him he's going to turn the other cheek. My gospel presentation tells him he's going to love his neighbor. My gospel presentation tells him to count the cost because he's got to forgive others or God won't forgive him. My foundation that I'm laying, see, I'm not trying to get him saved so he can go to heaven. I'm trying to call him to give up everything so he can come and follow Jesus. You can't follow Jesus unless you give up everything. Jesus set the standard on being a disciple. He never gave anyone permission to lower the standard. If that's Jesus's standard, I can't sell a cheaper one. I don't have an alternative standard to Jesus. He gets to set the bar. And so I call him to give up everything and come and follow Jesus. So we go over the hard commands of Jesus, all the commands of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. The third thing that I'm going to do is, is I'm going to also, in our case, we also teach on the church in the house. Now we have them do house church. It's obviously not everybody. I know almost nobody over here. I speak at one house church meeting. The rest of us are all in buildings over here. We happen to do house church, but we use that title because for one thing is, everybody wants to know why we don't have a big fancy building like all the other churches do around in the area. There's a million reasons for that. None of the least of the fact is, how in the world do you build a church where people can't eat? Who's going to pay for that building? I mean, it would be the most irresponsible thing in the world for me to have people in the congregation that can't eat, and I'm building a steeple up somewhere. I wouldn't no more do that than the man on the mat. It would be like me eating, 
you know, me sitting around eating $40 steaks and you're sitting there starving to be the same thing as far as I'm concerned. So I would never do it. But at the same time, this is when we talk about husband and wife relationships. So what we're starting to talk about here is those things that aren't covered in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and aren't covered in uh, the normal teachings of Jesus. So this is when we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about church government. We're going to talk about leadership within the church. We even talk about deacons and elders. We talk about um, um, fasting and prayer. We're going to talk about, you know, we happen to in our churches over there, we, we wear head coverings. And I know most of the churches here, some do and some don't, but we do that. And so that's when we cover head coverings for the ladies. We also were going to teach at that time about husband and wife relationships, divorce and remarriage and those kind of things. And then the last teaching that we have is the one on repentance and baptism. And this can take us a whole week. And the reason is, is when I teach Messiah men, see, they not only got four or five wives because they're polygamous, but they share wives. So we have to spend a little time explaining what adultery is. And fornication's perfectly okay. You, being faithful to any woman is an option. And it's not expected, it's not anticipated, and it's not practiced. So from a cultural level, we got a long way to go. So they don't even know it's a sin to repent from. So we have to open up God's word and show it to them. I shared with, the, with my brother and sister here today, the women absolutely hate each other because they've been taught to hate each other because in a polygamous situation, every woman is your competitor. They want to steal your husband, steal your home, steal your children, and steal your life. And they are taught to hate one another. And invariably, I have to teach them to love each other and to forgive each other. And there's almost always among women in every tribe I work with, there's so much bitterness and unforgiveness over other women and men and family members that have treated them bad that the greatest obstacle to them becoming a Christian is forgiving those around them. They just can't imagine that they got to forgive those people because they did me wrong. And, and they've got this terrible bitterness in their heart. So we have to walk them through this process in order for them to even know what it is to count the cost to come and follow Jesus. We have to teach men in the cultures, it's not okay to beat your wife. And we want you to understand, before, we, before I'm going to baptize you, you're going to repent of beating your wife. That's a, that's, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a deal breaker for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not baptizing any wife beaters. I don't care that it's culturally acceptable. So you see what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with a lot of things that you guys would never have to deal with. But what I want you to see is, is that you, people can't repent and turn from sin and come and follow Jesus if you don't drill down and find out what's going on in their life. You know, we know from the Barner Report from many years ago that 60% of men at the minimum are watching pornography. 38% of the women are. And the Bible says that no one that lusts or commits adultery, I should say, will inherit the kingdom of God. So that basically means that over half of the Christian men and way over a quarter of the Christian women will not inherit the kingdom of God because they're fantasizing about these other things. These things have to be talked about, and people have to repent of them. doesn't do any good to try and make a disciple if he's not going to inherit the kingdom of God, does it? 
I mean, we're not, we're not giving out tickets to heaven. Paul gives a great big list of things that will absolutely disqualify us and give us an evil and unbelieving heart in many situations. I've gone a long time tonight. I apologize. I'm used to teaching in Africa, and it's about three hours at a time sometimes. And uh, so you'll have to forgive me tonight. I know I went way over an hour. I apologize. I didn't even check with my brother about time uh, limits, and I know we started late tonight. But I hope I've given you a little bit of something about what we do as far as making discipleships. So we're just going to review, and I'm going to turn it back over to my brother, and we're going to review real quick. You can't make one till you are one. If you're not making disciples, you're not one yet. I hope that one punched you right between the eyes because it's true. You know, I had to realize when I wasn't making disciples, then I wasn't a disciple because I realized when I studied God's word and what Jesus said, then by virtue that I'm not making any, I'm not one. And I decided I wanted to become one. So I had to, even though I was born again, even though I was saved, if I was going to be a disciple and make disciples, then I had to call myself. I had to heed God's call myself that I'm going to put on others to give up everything and come and follow Jesus. And tomorrow I'm going to share with you my personal testimony of what it meant for me to transform from an entrepreneur business owner to a guy that lives in Africa. Did you know my first four months in Africa, I lived in a goat stall? A goat stall. A goat stall. Well, you're going to see tomorrow. But anyway, <laughs> assuming we can get the slide projector to work. I know if we've got songs up, we can sure put pictures up. Yeah, yeah. We, what it was is, is that uh, uh, the, the, the actual first 60 days when I got in to get my visa, I stayed in a, in a brother's house. When I went out in the field, I went and stayed with a family, and they actually didn't have a home, so their grandfather had given them a goat stall, and it had two sections of goat stall, and they would divide it, you know, by your typical fence that would keep two goats apart. And they had put regular doors on the front on each side, and uh, our floors were cement and cow manure. We make everything out of cement and cow manure, but it looks like cement. And, uh, and then, you know, our boards don't quite connect because it's for goats, right? So we put cardboard up so the wind don't blow through and the dirt don't come through. And I slept on a single child's bed with a grown man. And then if you don't feel sorry for me because my host family slept on a double bed, husband and wife and their four children, two of whom were grown. But that's... I know that sounds weird to you guys. That's just Africa, man. That's just the way we do it. That's how we roll in Africa, man. We just all pile in and go to sleep and happy we got a bed. It's no big deal. It's quite common. So uh, anyway, I'm going to share with you about that tomorrow. Y'all be sure to, if you can... Come tomorrow, I'm going to tell you my story about how I wound up in Africa. We're going to have the slides. I'm going to show you Maasai. I'm going to show you where I live and what we do. Our model is to live poor among the poor to reach the poor. So we live just like the Africans do. And so I'm going to show you how we do that. But I, I think the most interesting thing for you tomorrow is I'm going to show you how I transition from not from somebody that's a Mennonite or a kingdom Christian, but from an evangelical Christian and began to understand the kingdom of God. How many of you read David Bersow's The Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down and uh, some of these books? That's what got me going. And, uh, and then I'm going to show you how I began and got led to come and go to Africa and, and be a missionary myself. Trust me, I never, ever, ever thought I would... Uh, would be a missionary. My idea of uh, 
spending my vacations always involved the beach and margaritas. So when my pastor first suggested that I go on a short-term mission trip and I found out there was going to be no beach or margaritas, I thought it was the worst idea I'd ever heard in my life. And yes, I was a Christian when I said that uh, by American standards. And so anyway, I'm going to tell you about that journey that led me to be over in Africa. And then the last thing I want to talk to you guys about is, and this will be tomorrow night, is I want to share with you a a way to share and articulate the kingdom of God that you may have never heard or had put together quite so concise uh, before. And when I share this with you, you're going to understand how to both share your faith and share about the kingdom of God at the same time. And the reason this is important is, is that if you're going to call men to come and give up everything and come and follow Jesus, we need to do it like they did in the Bible. In the Bible, they were always persuading people about Jesus and the kingdom. They were never divorced in the Bible. Paul did not divorce him. Go back and read everything about Paul when he talks about the kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom and Jesus. Jews weren't looking for no Messiah coming without no kingdom. The reason the Jews were excited about the Messiah coming because he's bringing the kingdom. If he was going to come without the kingdom, they were like, who cares? Where's the kingdom? It's the answer to everything. Jesus showed up and said, I got it. I got it right here. I'm going to show it to you. You went and Paul, when he got ready to preach, what did he go say? Let me tell you about the kingdom. This Jesus guy brought it. So we divorced the two, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you articulate it and bring it all together and make it easier for you to share your faith with others. In fact, the answer to every problem you've probably ever had, such as how can God be good and there be evil in the world? I can answer that. It's the answers in the kingdom of God. There's so many questions that you and I struggle with that I'm going to show you the easiest way to answer it once you understand the kingdom of God. How many people here know when the kingdom of God started? I'm going to show you the verse in the Bible that tells you where the kingdom of God started. I bet you didn't know there was a verse like that. I'm going to show it to you. You're going to be surprised. It's a secret. I'm not going to tell you about it until Sunday night. If you want to know where it's at, you got to come Sunday night. I'm going to show you where the kingdom of God started. The Bible says so. All right. Thank you all for listening. I'm so sorry if I went too long. I should have checked in with my brother before then. I also should have given him the sign. You know, we got a sign when I was up uh, when I was in uh, Franklin, Kentucky and in Pennsylvania. The pastor would stand in the back and go. I go, I better slow. I better I better start closing. (laughs) Thank you all for being here and thank you for being patient with me. I look forward and hope to see you again tomorrow and uh, share a little bit more with you about uh, our ministry and who I am and how I got there. How does somebody go from Memphis, Tennessee to Tanzania in a goat stall? Well, I've been there, done that. So I'm going to tell you about it tomorrow. Okay. God bless you all. Brother, I'm going to turn it back over to you. You got it. It's done. Let's pray. If y'all don't mind, I'm going to pray for you in Swahili. Is that okay? I'm just going to, let's just pray the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Lakini utue poe mauvuni kwa kuwa hufamewake na nguvu na utukufu.
Hatamalele. Amen. God bless you, everyone.